Welcome back to the Grand Valley Church Podcast, a community of faith in Brandon, Manitoba. We hope this message helps you meet Jesus and grow in faith. We are in a sermon series that we've been in for a little while called Supernatural Gifts. And we've been talking about some of the things that may be mysterious about our faith. And if you're visiting, checking this place out, and you maybe you don't know where you're at in a relationship with God, I want to let you know something. You have a spiritual gift that is just waiting for you. God has this thing that he gives to us through the Holy Spirit that when we've put our trust and our faith in Jesus, the Holy Spirit gives us a spiritual gift. And what a spiritual gift, and this is what this series has been about, is spiritual gifts are a specific ability that's given to all followers of Jesus by the Holy Spirit for a purpose. And that purpose is so that we can minister to one another. And so when we say to minister to one another, what we mean is that as a church as a whole, our gifts have a purpose of empowering and encouraging and building each other up. It's so that we are strengthened as a community of faith. And it's not just so that we're a strong community of faith, but there's a reason for these gifts. And that reason is that when we use our spiritual gifts together, these gifts empower and equip us so that together we get to achieve the mission that God has for his church, the mission to reveal who he is so that people can come into a relationship with Jesus and know the depths of his love that he has for us. And so in this sermon series that we've been in for a while, we've been walking through, there's about 19 or so spiritual gifts, and we've been using the work of a theologian named Robert Clinton, and he splits them up into three groups, into what he calls the love gifts, the word gifts, and the power gifts. And this chunk of the series, we've been talking about the power gifts. And power gifts are specific gifts that reveal that God is present in the room. They're gifts that display his supernatural power. Now, God is in all spiritual gifts, but when sometimes when we see a word gift or a love gift in action, we may just think, wow, that person's just really kind and really compassionate, and we may not always recognize that that's a spiritual gift of mercy. The word and the love gift, sometimes we misattribute, and we just think, man, that person just has really great character, and we don't realize that it is a spiritual gift, but when the power gifts happen, there is this moment that make us go, wow, God is really doing something right now. And so this chunk of the series, we've been walking through these power gifts, and we're hitting one today. We're going to be talking about two gifts that are often kind of, there's some confusion around them, or maybe they're a little misunderstood. And so our goal today is that we're going to bring some clarity and a common foundation to this, because what we're talking about today is the gifts of tongues and interpretation that are often misunderstood. And they're often kind of like, well, what are these gifts? Do they still exist today? Maybe I I heard someone say these gifts were just for a long time ago and they're not active today. And so we're going to explore and we're going to talk about these ones today. But every one of us in this room right now comes from a different starting point. So I want to ask this question, where is your starting point on this conversation? Because some of us may have come from a background or seen this experience where the gift of tongues has been emphasized over other gifts. Or maybe maybe you have a faith background where this gift is accepted, or maybe sometimes it's only accepted really cautiously, where you're like, you know, the Bible talks about it. I think it's there, but, you know, we're just going to push that one to the side. Like, it's a real gift, but we just want to be cautious, and we kind of remove it a little bit. Or sometimes we may have a background even where the gift of tongues and interpretation were treated as a forbidden or an extinct gift of saying, well, those gifts shouldn't be practiced in the church today. Or maybe this is an entirely new topic to you. And when I say tongues and interpretation, you have no idea what I'm talking to you about. And you know what that means? That means we are in the right place together. Because all spiritual gifts 
must be used in healthy ways to edify and build up the church. Every gift, there are healthy ways and unhealthy ways we can live them out. So together today, we're going to focus on how to get to healthy ways of this gift, these two gifts being used, so that these gifts are able to powerfully demonstrate that God wants a deep relationship with us. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to try and kind of wherever we come from in this topic to draw together to find a common foundation together based on what Scripture tells us, based on how the Holy Spirit acts, so that together as a community we can say this is the platform, this is the foundation for how these gifts could be used in healthy ways. So let's start with a definition. Let's start with something common together. And the definition of of the gift of tongues from a theologian named Bruce Bugby, he says this, the gift of tongues allows one to speak, worship, or pray in a language that is unknown to the speaker. So it means that through the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, through the filling of the Holy Spirit in your life, you are able to speak a language that you did not know prior to that moment. Now, this gift comes up in a couple different ways through Scripture. And the first way that we're going to talk about this is we're going to focus on this term unknown languages. And what does that mean? Because sometimes in Scripture, unknown language means an earthly language. It means you're able to speak a language through the work of the Holy Spirit in you to speak a language that you are not normally fluent in. And this is what happened in Acts 2. So the the New Testament, we have the first four books are the Gospels that tell the story of Jesus. And then the next book is the book of Acts. And Acts tells the story of what happened in the church after Jesus died and rose from the grave. And so there's this day and all the believers that are left are in one room together. And there's about 120 people. So after three years of Jesus' ministry, of preaching and teaching and telling people about God and performing miracles, there's only 120 people who have chosen to remain with their faith in Jesus. And they're gathered in one room in Jerusalem because Jesus told them, wait, wait for the arrival of the Holy Spirit. And then this happens in Acts 2. On the day of Pentecost... All the believers were meeting together in one place. Suddenly there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm, and it filled the house where they were sitting. Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on them, and everyone was present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. And, and Luke, as he's recording this, he, does, he says something like, like they don't even know how to describe what's happened. They don't have the language to describe that what happened exactly when the Holy Spirit came. So they say something like flames or tongues of fire settles on them, but it was all, it settled on all of them together. Now at that time, there were devout Jews in every nation living in Jerusalem. And on top of that, Pentecost was a Jewish festival. And so the city had swelled with people that were coming in to celebrate this festival together. And so there was people from every nation and the known world were, had all come to Jerusalem when this happens. And so when they heard the loud noise, everyone came running. And they were bewildered to hear their own languages being spoken by the believers. So what happens is these people show up. What happened? Was this an earthquake? Was this whatever it was? And they start hearing their own hometown languages being spoken by this group of 120 people. And they are amazed. They don't believe what they're hearing because one person, Peter, is at the front and he is speaking and everyone is hearing it in their own language. This is what the Holy Spirit does on that first day, the day of Pentecost. Now, sometimes some faith traditions look at this 
And they look at that passage and they say, well, that means that if you've been filled with the Holy Spirit, you have to be able to speak in tongues. And unfortunately, that isn't an accurate understanding of what is happening in Scripture and what happened on that day. Because what actually happened when all the believers had the Holy Spirit to fall on them and then they spoke in every earthly language at once was actually an act of healing and restoration. See, God's unification of earthly languages on the day of Pentecost is actually a healing and a restoration of something that happened way in the beginning of the Old Testament, the story of the Tower of Babel. And so we're going to take a little detour and we're going to go way back into the first book of the Bible, Genesis. And Genesis chapters 1 through 11 are the origin of the world and the origin of the Israelite people and how they understood it to be. And in Genesis 11, there's this story of what happened when everyone on earth spoke the same language. And they all gathered together and they said, look, we are all unified. We all speak the same language. Look at how important and impressive we are. And so all the nations... Well, actually, it's all the nation. It's only one at that point. They gather together and they start building this massive tower called the Tower of Babel. And the point of this tower was to demonstrate humanity's superiority over everything. Look at how amazing we are. And what happens in Genesis 11, verses 6 and 7, let me read it to you. Look, God says, the people are united and they all speak the same language. After this, nothing they set out to do will be impossible for them. Come, let's go down and confuse the people with different languages. Then they won't be able to understand each other. Now, when we read this at first, we think, wow, that's kind of like a mean thing to do, isn't it, God? Like, come on, like they're unified. Why are you breaking it apart? But the reason what the people were using their unity for was to dismiss God. What they were using their unity for was to remove the fact that we are the created being. We are not the creator. God gives us a creative spirit and we're able to do incredible things. But if we use that to try and dismiss and get rid of God, we are violating what God created us for because God created every single person, every man, woman, and child to be in a relationship with him. And at the Tower of Babel, humanity was about to take a a veer off and off the course into their own way. And so when God did this, when he essentially fractured humanity, it was about making it possible that humanity would still be dependent upon God because that is the created order. That's the way it's meant to be. We are dependent on God. And so this happens in the very beginning, chapter 11. And the next chapter of Genesis is the start of the the massive narrative throughout all of scripture when God chooses Abraham and he tells Abraham, through your descendants, every single person on earth will be blessed. And God starts this journey of drawing everyone back to himself. So in Acts 2, thousands and thousands of years later, humanity was fragmented by language and everyone speaks different languages still and even today. But in Acts 2, when the Holy Spirit came, these people were given the ability to speak in a language they did not know before. And it was the healing and the unification so that every single people group would be able to hear the message of Jesus. This was a moment of unification, of restoration, of people being able to hear how deeply God loves us, how deeply Jesus did everything for us so that we could be in a relationship with him. And so when we talk about the gift of tongues and speaking in unknown languages, there's two forms of this. The first one that we've talked about that, have just, that happened on, on Acts 2 was the earthly language, being able to speak a language you are not normally fluent in. 
But when we talk about tongues, often we go to a passage in 1 Corinthians, and that's where we're going to spend the bulk of our time for the rest of this morning together, is in this portion. And this is where Paul talks about how God gives the gift of speaking a heavenly language. Now, one of the things that we sometimes forget, and it's probably a thought that never even crosses our mind to begin with, but God's first language isn't English. It's not. Like, it it can't be. And you know what? God's first language isn't even Greek that the New Testament was written in. It's not even Aramaic or the Hebrew that the Old Testament was written in. God actually has his own primary language. And it's the primary language that he uses to speak to his angels, to speak to heavenly beings. And so there's this, when we talk about the gift of tongues, we have to recognize that there's kind of this first split between there's speaking an unknown language that is earthly, and that's what happened in Acts 2, and there's speaking the unknown language to us that is the heavenly language that is actually God's own language. And that's what Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 12 to 14. Now, before we dive into that passage, we've got to talk a little bit about Corinth, because Corinth was a major city in the first century. In fact, it was the capital of Greece, and it was the meeting point between the eastern and the western half of the Roman Empire. And so because of that, Corinth was a trade city. If you had goods that you wanted to sell, you were taking them through Corinth at some point. So because of that, Corinth was the most multi-ethnic and diverse city in the known world at the time. Every single people group, every single religion and way of thought and way of thinking and living was present in the city of Corinth. And in Acts 18, when Paul was traveling, he went to Corinth and he went there with a purpose. He went there to tell people about Jesus and to plant a church. And he met a group of faithful, devout Jews who came to faith in Jesus and they started to plant a church in Corinth. And this, to Paul, was a, was a big success. This was a huge moment for the gospel because if we plant these churches in these influential cities where people are always coming in and going out, this is going to be an amazing opportunity for people to hear about Jesus' love for them because people will come here, they'll come to the church, they'll hear about Jesus, and then they'll go back to their hometown, wherever their hometown is, and they'll be able to tell people about Jesus. This was a huge win for the gospel. But what happened in Corinth, well, things kind of went off the rails. And in fact, the first 11 chapters of Paul's first letter to the Corinthians, it's the second longest letter that he wrote, and he spends the majority of it correcting their problems. Because the church of Corinth had all these, this so much diversity, they were not able to figure out how to get along. And part of the problem was is that everyone came from some form of a pagan religion. Atheism didn't really exist back then. Everyone had some sort of an animism or a pagan basis of their faith. And so people were trying to take those previous practices and previous beliefs and saying, okay, well, how does this slot in with following Jesus? And what Paul had to tell them on a lot of it is, guess what? It doesn't fit. You actually can't take that practice in the way that you lived your faith then and insert that into Christianity and still call it following Jesus. And so Paul systematically works through the problems that he's been hearing about because he's moved on to the next city. And and so he's writing this letter back to try and correct and guide and instruct them. And he ends this chunk, this 1 Corinthians 11, with this chunk. He says, but in the following instructions, I cannot praise you for it sounds as if more harm than good is done when you meet together. Ouch. You do not want to get that in a letter from Paul. Like, This is the slap down, like this is almost a drop the mic moment, but Paul continues. He doesn't just leave them with here's everything you've done wrong. 
See, the next chapter of 1 Corinthians is 1 Corinthians 12, where Paul introduces spiritual gifts. And they were asking questions about spiritual gifts. And Paul talks about it by saying, this is how you are to be united. That through love for one another, through exercising your spiritual gifts, through doing what God has called us to do, this is how you will find unity. And one of the big issues in Corinth, and this is where we get to the issue around the way they were treating tongues, is they believed that if someone spoke in tongues, that they were somehow superior to the rest of the people in the church. And so they, on that spectrum that I had up on the screen before, they were way off the deep side on elevating the gift above all others. They believed that if someone spoke in tongues, like they were like first-class Christians, and all the rest of us are second- and third-class Christians, and that is not at all what Paul was doing. And so he starts this next phase of his letter where he's trying to draw them back into what does it mean to be a church by talking about how every single part of the church is necessary. And he uses the metaphor of a human body. And he says every single part of the human body is necessary and we all have to work together. All the parts of our body work together for us to live and exist and be alive. And so when it comes to tongues and when it comes to speaking heavenly languages, there's a further split we need to do because there's the gift of tongues. They're speaking earthly languages earthly languages and speaking heavenly languages. And now we want to take the heavenly languages. We're going to split it once more because there's two forms of it that Paul talks about. And the first one, I'm going to introduce a word to us. And maybe you've heard this word before, maybe not. But the word is adorative. And it means to adore. And so the gift of tongues being used in adorative form is when our spirit is connecting with the Holy Spirit to convey our deep love and worship of God. And usually, this is done in times of private prayer. This is when you are by yourself praying with God, and the Holy Spirit allows and enables you to speak in the heavenly language as a way of expressing your love and your adoration, and it's this connection with God. And so in 1 Corinthians, after 1 Corinthians 12, where he talks about how all gifts are necessary, 1 Corinthians 13, he talks about how love has to underlie and be the foundation of all spiritual gifts. And then in 1 Corinthians 14, he gets into kind of the the nuts and bolts of, so how do we live out this gift of tongues and interpretation? How do we live it out well? And so he says this in 1 Corinthians 14, verse 2. He says, if you have the ability to speak in tongues, you will be talking only to God since people will not understand you. You will be speaking by the power of the Spirit, but it will all be mysterious. It means that the person beside you will have no clue what you are saying and what you are praying, and they will not be able to pray with you. So if you have, if you are praying in tongues in this adorative mode of showing your deep love and worship for God, it is a personal, private moment between you and the Spirit and God. And your neighbor sitting in the chair next to you has no clue what you're praying for and is not able to pray with you. And so Paul's instruction for the adorative form of this is to say, if this is how you're going to pray, then pray in private because it doesn't actually benefit the people around you if they have no clue what you're praying for. And he even goes on, he says, you know, I would rather speak five intelligible words than 500 unintelligible words. He says, when we gather together, focus on what you can do together. But then there's the second form of the gift of tongues in speaking heavenly languages, and that is the authoritative form. And so the authoritative form is when the Holy Spirit prompts a person to speak in a heavenly language to convey a message to a person or a group. And this authoritative 
use always requires the second gift we're going to talk about today, and that is the gift of interpretation. And so in this form of speaking in tongues, it's giving an instruction from God. So last week we talked about prophecy and words of wisdom and words of knowledge. And if you didn't happen to be here, you can always catch the podcast because I don't want you to miss out on what might be your spiritual gift in this series. But this is where tongues and prophecy overlap because the authoritative use of the gift of tongues is to convey a message to the people from God. But it's a little different than prophecy in the fact that the person who speaks the message isn't speaking English, or whatever the the common language that a group of Christians share. And so the gift of tongues requires this second gift for this form to exist, and that is the interpretation. And so once again, we're going to go to our theologian friend, Robert Clinton, and he's going to help us with a definition here because he says, interpretation of tongues is the ability to spontaneously respond to the giving of an authoritative message in tongues by interpreting the word and clearly communicating the message that's been given. So how do we live this out? What does this mean for the church when we gather if someone is given an authoritative use of tongues in a community of faith? Well, Paul talked about that too. So we're going to go a little further down into 1 Corinthians 14, and Paul gives this instruction. He says, No more, when you gather, no more than two or three should speak in tongues. They must speak one at a time, and someone must interpret what they say. But if no one is present who can interpret... They must be silent in your church meeting and speak in tongues to God privately. This is the instruction he gives. And this comes back to what we're saying before of saying, how do we gather and live out our gifts in a way that is edifying and builds up everyone? Because if there is no interpreter, then a message is said that cannot be received. And when a message is received, if there is an interpreter we actually have to take a moment and pause and we actually have to confirm and discern and we need to go through the steps that we talked about last week of saying, you know, does this message align with scripture? Does this message align with our reason and our previous experience and the way that God has moved and acted in the past? Because the way that God has moved in the past will help us understand the way that God moves in new ways in the future. And so there's this discernment step that needs to happen. So if an authoritative use of the gift of tongues happens... And then there needs to be someone who can interpret it. And then as a community of faith together, we discern that message and we say, okay, is this really from God? Is this the step? How do we do this? When do we need to do this? What do we need to do? Because this is part of how God directs and shapes the church. But then Paul gives this. And and what he says in, in 1 Corinthians 14, 27, that sometimes we might miss, but we need to recognize he is saying that if you have the gift of tongues, you are in control of that gift. The gift of tongues will never overcome you and force you to speak in tongues and make it in a way that you cannot decide to close your mouth and stop speaking. Because the gift of tongues is under our control. The Spirit doesn't give us these gifts to turn us into robots that just do whatever the Holy Spirit downloads into our brains in the moment. We still are in control of our spiritual gifts. And that's why Paul gives this parameter around it. And then he summarizes this chunk by saying, For God is not a God of disorder, but of peace, as in all the meetings of God's holy people. When the church in Corinth was gathering, before they received this letter, their their Sabbath gathering was described as one of utter chaos. Everyone came and did whatever they felt like and whatever they felt their connection to God would be best built up by. 
And what Paul says is no. He says God is not a God of disorder. He's not a God of chaos. He's a God of peace. And so when you gather, your gathering needs to be orderly. You need to have structure. You need to have the way that you as a community live out this, these gifts together. And the reason for that is that if people were coming in to the church and they just saw an outright free-for-all and just utter chaos happening, that does not convey the gospel of Jesus. How would someone be able to hear and know what God is doing if they don't have a clue what's going on? So this is the point that Paul is driving towards. And in fact, he made this point earlier in his letter. And so we're going to go back to 1 Corinthians 10 for a moment. And Paul takes something that the Corinthian church was saying in their letter and he kind of turns it on them. And he says, you say, I'm allowed to do anything. And Paul adds, but not everything is good for you. You say, I'm allowed to do anything but not everything is beneficial. And then he gives this instruction. He says, don't be concerned for your own good, but for the good of others. So when we use our spiritual gifts, when we gather together as a community of faith, the first question we need to ask is, is this something that we are doing together that is for the good of all of us, not just for me? That's why the adorative form of the gift of tongues is often done in private. Because if you are speaking and and praying and you're having this intense encounter with God, the person beside you has no idea what's going on. And so Paul would say that it is better for you to have those deep moments of connection with God on your own. And what that does is it strengthens your faith so that you are able to strengthen others. There is nothing wrong at all with the adorative form. There's nothing wrong with the authoritative form of the gift of tongues. But what Paul is constantly getting at through his whole letter to the Corinthian church because he's addressing their problems, but also because he's trying to set the standard of saying that as a church, when we gather, it matters more what this means for all of us than just for you personally. When we choose to gather here on a Sunday and the band leads us in worship, we worship communally. We worship together as a community of faith. We are not a collection of individuals each worshiping in our own way and having our own moment with God. No, when we gather, it is all of us together. And this is the beauty of the church and why unity in the church is so important. Unity is not formed through conformity of forcing everyone to look the same. But unity is formed when we take our diversity and we submit it to one another and we say that together we can live out our faith in ways that edify and build everyone up in ways that strengthen the church so that we're able to do exactly what God has given us to do. So we're able to achieve the mission of spreading his love, of sharing his knowledge, of sharing his plans and his purposes with everyone. Because this is where we find fulfillment. When we actually take our focus off of ourselves and we say, when we gather, how are we focusing on others? This is why humility is such a common theme that keeps coming up over and over and over again. And and I wish I knew the source of this quote off the top of my head, but I don't at the moment. But saying that humility is not thinking less of yourself. Humility is thinking about yourself less. Humility means that we focus on others. That's exactly what Paul is calling the Corinthian church to, of saying, if you have humility when you gather... You will not be thinking about, okay, how do I speak in tongues so that I am elevated, so that I am built up, so that everyone else looks at me and says, wow, that person's so spiritual and so important. 
Humility means when we come and we say, what are we bringing so that all of us together can connect to God? What are we bringing when we gather so that all of us are encouraged and can engage deeper in our faith? So the bottom line on this comes down to saying that the use of any spiritual gift, including tongues and interpretation, must be evaluated to ensure it is edifying and beneficial to others who are present. Your spiritual gift can never build you up and tear someone else down at the same time. Because if that's happening, that means we have crossed the line and we're using our spiritual gifts improperly. And then that's something that we need to choose to repent of, to stop. Repent just means to to stop what you're doing and turn around and go the other direction to say, if we realize that, that what we're doing is hindering other people's connection with God, we have to stop ourselves, turn and say, okay, how do we do this differently so that we are able to encourage and help other people engage with God? So how do we do this? This is kind of the, where the rubber hits the road. How do we live that out in this community of faith as we gather together? How do we live this out? So if you feel, as I've been talking about this, the gift of tongues, or maybe you've had experiences with tongues, maybe there's just something about it that just has this nagging question where like, I think I need to explore that more. I want to encourage you to lean into that thought. Lean into that prompting. Lean into that nudging of the Spirit. And so if you want to develop the gift of tongues, because remember, our spiritual gifts are not fully formed when they're given to us. We have to develop and work in them to get to the fulfillment of them. If we want to develop the gift of tongues, we need to first start by praying and asking the Holy Spirit for the gift. Now you have to, there's a little caveat on this. You have to understand the Holy Spirit might say no, because we don't get to decide what spiritual gifts we get. It's actually completely up to the Holy Spirit to say, this is the gift that you will get. And so you can pray and ask for it, but God is the one who does what he wants, and so he'll say yes or no. You know, you could come to me and be like, Brian, I prayed for the gift of tongues, and God says no, what should I do? Well, you don't have the gift of tongues, sorry. Like, I, I mean, that's, I, I don't know what else to say. If God said no, you don't get it. But God might say yes. God might say yes and say, yes, you have the gift of tongues. And this is going to empower you to demonstrate God's deep love and deep relationship with his people. So what do you do next? If the Holy Spirit confirms the gift, start trying to use the gift in an adorative method. That means private prayer. When you pray, if you feel that you're about to speak in tongues, just let yourself do it. But again, this is something private. This is a moment between you and God and if you're like, ah, I don't know what's happening, you can always just, you know, pause, ask the Holy Spirit, God, what should I do in this moment? God loves to speak and communicate to us and instruct us and guide us. And so we can ask him for direction as we do this. But eventually, we need to take our gift of tongues and go beyond just what happens privately. And so what, where to start next is to say, what is a safe space to explore this gift together? And so what I want to encourage you to do is sometime if you feel you have this gift and you've been leaning into it, or maybe you have this gift already of saying, the place to start is within your life group. Ask your life group sometime, maybe ask your life group leaders, ask your group when you're gathered together, hey, can I have permission to lean into this gift of tongues? Can I have permission that when we gather on whatever night of the week we gather, is this a place where it's okay for me to do this? Because I think I'm leaning into this gift and it's time to, for me to explore this. What's the safe place? So in a group of people who love you and encourage you and are there to share their lives with each other, that is the place to start this. How do we do this together? And there's two things that this does. 
the first thing that this does is this firmly places the gift under the leadership that you've placed your life under. God designed the church to have an authority structure, to have a leadership structure within it. And we talked about this back in the word gifts when we talked about the gift of leadership, that a leadership is a spiritual gift that helps people stay united and drawn together towards a common purpose. And so if you have the gift of tongues and you submit it to your life group leaders this way, it's a way of making sure that we're keeping that gift in the right place, that it doesn't lead us to elevate it over other spiritual gifts. And the second thing it does is that when we use the gift of tongues, people can only discover if they have the gift of interpretation if they've been exposed to the gift of tongues. And so you need to seek out people with the gift of interpretation because this is a two-person gift. One person receives the message, the person with interpretation understands the message and communicates it. And people will not know if they have a gift of interpretation or not unless you are exposed to the gift of tongues. And so again, in your life group is a place to start. Now, maybe to say you're here on a Sunday morning and you feel this kind of encouragement or or prompting the Holy Spirit that it's time to speak in tongues, that God wants to do something, I'm going to ask you to follow the same steps. That the first thing you should do is you should look for your life group leader if they're here. If your life group leader isn't here, then look for one of the elders or come and talk to me or to Pastor Vicky and say, you know, I think God wants me to speak in tongues. And we'll stop and we'll pause and we'll discern it together and we'll say, okay, is this something that needs to happen? Because what this comes down to of saying is that when the gift of tongues happens and there is an interpretation, it is intensely powerful and it encourages people in their faith in ways that that is just insane. Because again, the power gifts show, look, God is in the room. Look what he just did through these two people. And oftentimes, the people with with the gift of tongues that get the message and the person that receives the interpretation, they often don't even know each other but it's because the Holy Spirit is working through the body of the church. But also, at the same time, we have to pause, we have to ask ourselves, is this edifying to everyone? Or is this just about me? With every spiritual gift, we have to stop and we have to pause and we have to ask ourselves that question always. Am I using this gift, whatever the gift is, for the good of the body? So at the beginning of this message, I put up a little spectrum, a little chart. So where are you at now? Where are you willing to be? And it's okay if you look at this and you're like, I don't know where I would put my check mark. That's totally fine. But what I hope you've been able to do is that if you are towards the outer edge of this, that somehow as a community of faith, we could take one step together towards the center to say, if these are gifts that are from the Holy Spirit, these are valid gifts, these are valid expressions, how do we accept them? How do we handle them well? Because I don't want us to be in a place and in fact, I, as, as, our, as our pastor and as part of our spiritual leadership, I will not allow us to overemphasize the gift of tongues and say, if someone has a gift of tongues, well, you know, they're up here and the rest of us are down here. That will not fly in this community. At the same time, the other position that isn't really going to fly is to say, we are going to completely forbid any and all expression of the gift of tongues. That isn't going to fly either. But if you're in one of those places, we say this, so how as a community of faith do we grow together that we can come to a place of saying, how do we accept these? How do we handle them well? Because we want what God has for us. And when we started this chunk of the series on supernatural gifts, I talked about that when we dismiss something from the Bible, when we dismiss something of the Holy Spirit, the only people that we harm is ourselves. We are the ones who miss out 
whenever we dismiss something the Holy Spirit is doing. And so I'm going to ask the band to come back up, and they're going to lead us in another song. But as we do this, I want to invite you to a spot of reflection. And it is okay wherever you are on that spectrum. But as a community of faith, I want to invite you to say, are we willing to take one step towards the center of this? Are we willing to take a step towards accepting from whatever our background on, this, on these two gifts are? But there's a second question I want to ask. Are you open to God moving and acting in ways you may not have experienced before? God is always doing new things in our midst. God is always revealing himself in new ways that are deeper. And are we actually willing to lean into that? Because sometimes it's true that we may have reached a point in our walk with God where we said, you know, that's enough. I'm going to stop here. I've got enough. And I'm just going to, from this point, I'm going to remain here for the rest of my life. But I want to encourage you. Are you willing to say at some point in our faith journey, we have to step into what's unknown. We have to step into what is uncomfortable to us for the sake of something greater. And so as the band leads us in song, would you stand and reflect on that saying of, are we willing to experience and accept that God may move in ways that he has not moved before? So that question is before us, saying, are we willing to see God move and act in ways that we may not have experienced before? Are we willing to be open to God moving in ways that are unexpected to us? But mostly, are we willing to to submit those things to one another and say, let's figure this out together? So wherever you fall on that spectrum, maybe this is a gift where you're still saying, like, "Ah, I don't know about it. That's okay. Because we can explore this together. And that's the beauty of the church. That is exactly why the church of Corinth was so important to Paul and so important to the world. That because they were diverse, because people came from every background, from every belief, from every understanding, they came together. And the church of Corinth actually turned things around. Paul had to write a couple more letters to them. But history tells us that the church of Corinth became a pivotal part of the message of Christ being spread throughout Greece and north from Greece into Europe. These people figured it out. They made it work together. And even though it's sometimes messy, and even though sometimes it's difficult, if we're willing to say, let's put the good of others before what's personally good for me. Let's put what we choose to focus on together ahead of my own individual choice of what I think about a specific gift or not. But together, when we are empowered by the Holy Spirit, we can achieve incredible things because God has laid an incredible mission in front of us to share his love and his mercy and his joy with the world. And when we do that, the fulfillment that we get to receive is a gift unto itself from God as well. And so I want to take a moment and pray for us, to pray for this gift. Would you take a moment and pray with me? Lord, you have, you work in mysterious ways sometimes because you are infinite when we are finite. And so Lord, I pray that you would start doing a work in each one of us that we would be open to all the spiritual gifts, including tongues and interpretation, that no matter where we come from on this gift, that we could choose to recognize when it happens as saying, wow, this is of you. This is of your spirit. And so, Lord, for people in the room right now that may be feeling this sense of that this is maybe their gift, would you just encourage them to lean into it? Would you encourage them to spend time in prayer way beyond the hour that we spend together on a Sunday But Lord, would you bring a rich and deep prayer life 
for people with this gift so that they can become in tune with you. And, and even for those of us without this gift, that you may say, no, you're not getting the gift of tongues. Would we have a deep and rich prayer life that allows us to connect with you? And Lord, for people with the gift of interpretation in this room right now, I pray that when that happens, the moment they are exposed to the gift of tongues being used in that authoritative way properly, Lord, would you speak clearly? Would the Holy Spirit move in them to recognize, wow, this is my gift and I do have something to share. And that as we share this, that this is not about that person being elevated, but this is about all of us being elevated. And so Lord, I pray for the other spiritual gifts we've talked through, the word and the love gifts and the other power gifts and even the ones that are yet to come in this series. Lord, would we be willing to accept what you are doing? Would we be willing to accept that you may move in ways that are unfamiliar to us? But if our sights are fixed on you, we know that that path will only lead to good. And so do you encourage us to walk it together? In your name we pray, amen. So there's one last thing I want to leave you with. If you go to our website, mygrandvalley.ca, and you hit the in the loop button at the top, there will be all the information about anything that's coming up at the church. But also on that page, there's a button that says discussion questions. And if you're maybe wrestling with this topic, I want to encourage you to download the discussion questions and they'll help you go deeper into this. They'll help you work through these things. And if you're saying, well, I'm not in a life group, where do I practice this? We're going to be launching a whole new crop of life groups in September in the fall because our groups kind of slow down, take a little bit of a break over the summer. But I want to encourage you to think ahead already to the fall and say, what would it mean to be part of a group that's willing to share our lives with one another where we can start exploring and experiencing our spiritual gifts together. And so I want to encourage you to do that. Look ahead to life groups. Check out the discussion questions to go further in this. And folks, I hope you have an amazing week and that your relationship with God keeps growing deeper and deeper. Amen. We hope this message helped you to take the next step in your faith journey. If you're in the area, we'd love to have you join us Sundays at 11 a.m. You can find out more about us by going to mygrandvalley.ca.